Hello, I'm Joshua Groisberg, a history enthusiast. And I'm Jacob Friedman, founder of People's Big News. And this is Gen Zero's Talk Politics. This is where two members of the next generation of American adults talk about what's going on in the world. Since the whole world is on fire, we might as well take a crack at delivering some insightful analysis and maybe some comedy along the way. So we're going to cover the results of the midterm elections and Trump announcing his 2024 run. Joshua, how do things stand right now? Well, right now, according to CNN, the House is currently 219 to 212 in the Republicans' favor. So the Republicans have already officially achieved the majority they need to gain control of the House from the Democrats. There are still several more races to be called to determine how large of a majority that will be, but it's likely that the Republican majority will be pretty thin. Democrats have managed to actually keep the Senate this time around. They currently have 50 seats, which is the majority because Vice President Kamala Harris is the tiebreaker vote. So Democrats have kept the Senate. I will say, though, the last remaining Senate race in Georgia, I'm concerned about that now. Because now the Democrats have kept the Senate, I'm worried that turnout in Georgia will be lower because voters in Georgia are not going to really see much of a reason for turning out and the stakes will be a lot lower. That being said, though, Herschel Walker is pretty unpopular. I will say there's also an argument for low turnout, like low enthusiasm among Republican voters, because there's no reason like for control of the Senate. There's no reason to vote for Walker on that basis alone. There's no there's no real basis. So even though Republicans are like trying to keep Trump from campaigning there and bringing out like every senator, every big name, I don't, I don't see a lot of uh, high turnout for Republicans in uh, December. I, I, I just don't see it. But I could be proven wrong. I mean, you could be right, Joshua, that Democrats could have lower turnout by comparison. That that could actually absolutely be true because, you know, they have the Senate. But there is an argument to be made that Republicans could also have, you know, lower turnout. Yeah, I mean, I think that's certainly true. I think either way, I certainly think there's a chance you might be right that there, there would be less turnout overall, maybe amongst both parties for voting. But fewer people, the media probably won't be watching the December runoff as much as they were watching, you know, um, the election several weeks ago. But I still think that Warnock winning a seat would be extremely advantageous to the Democrats, especially with Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin not being reliable with the Democrats' overall agenda. Having an extra seat could be extremely useful. 51 votes, that would be very helpful. But I think overall, something I noticed during those races was Democrats were advantaged and were able to kind of reverse the traditional midterm suffering trend that we've seen over over several election cycles because of bad GOP candidates. And I think the flaw the GOP had was the GOP candidates that won the nomination were those endorsed by Trump. They were ideologically similar to Trump. And that's what got them to the general election. But when it came to the actual general election, they just didn't stand a chance. They couldn't make their opinions more moderate. They couldn't appeal to the public. They had a lot of flaws. For example, the Pennsylvania Senate candidate, uh, Mehmet Oz, he didn't even live in Pennsylvania. And yet he was the Republican nominee. And Herschel Walker, Herschel Walker has completely flopped in debate. He clearly became the nominee because he was ideologically similar to Trump and was endorsed by him. So Democrats were massively advantaged by the GOP's blunder. I mean, McConnell and Chris Christie and Paul Ryan and like every establishment Republican has, has said as much. And now they're saying, oh, maybe it's time to, you know, get rid of Trump because he had us do candidates and, you know, uh, candidate quality matters. When, when even they're saying it, you, you know, you done screwed up because the primary system, unless you're in you know Alaska or Maine with ranked choice voting in different systems, but still the primary system overwhelmingly rewards person who gets a plurality, not an overall majority, like 50% plus one. It rewards, it rewards the people who show up the most. 
and the people who show up the most in primaries are not reflective of the, par the party center, the national center, or even the party establishment as a whole. The primary voters in 2016 were not representative of the Republican Party, the 30%, 30%, 35% that picked Trump. They're not representative of the Republican Party. It worked for Republicans in 2016, but it's been downhill ever since. I, I certainly agree with that. But even then, the GOP has been unable to reflect on those mistakes. Because what you already see from right-wing media, from Fox News, for example, is that, you know, they're dumping Trump. And instead, they're kind of coming behind Ron DeSantis, very much so for the first time, because he won by a historically large margin in Florida. I mean, I think last time, though, in the last gubernatorial election in Florida, he won by a fairly small margin. This time, he beat Democrat Charlie Grist by 20 percentage points. It was a resounding victory for Ron DeSantis. And now people are standing more behind him. And somehow, very quickly, you see media focusing more on DeSantis than Trump, and all of a sudden Trump's 2024 prospects being challenged. So I, I found it very interesting how quickly that occurred. Winning in Florida by 20 against an unpopular former governor in a state that the Democratic Party is universally seen as a joke by uh, Florida operatives, by, uh, by national media. Like everyone says the Florida State Democratic Party is a joke. Like they can't organize anything. They can't get, they don't have any voter outreach. And the Republican system, the Republican organization, state party, they're very good outreach. They're very good at getting people to vote. They're very good at contacting people and keeping them updated. With that environment, winning by 20, even though that DeSantis won by a hair in 2018 against popular mayor who had a chance, this is not some grand revelation that Ron DeSantis is some um, you know, political whiz. Sure, 20 points looks impressive. Consider the environment. It's not like he's the second coming of Jesus for the Republican Party. This is the Republican media, the Murdoch Empire, everyone under the sun who's not in Trump's uh, mobster orbit. But they want to get Trump away so they can continue on their merry way into doing the policies they want without the baggage of Trump. You know, I'll talk about this more when we talk about Trump 2024. And I will say, though, that like with regard to the general trend of elections, I mean, we must remember that a lot of the election deniers, a lot of the Trumpists that were on the ballot in these elections in the House and the Senate all over the country, a lot of them did not lose by large margins. We have to remember that they lost by fairly small margins. I mean, Herschel Walker, I believe, was lost the initial race by one percentage point. To Warnock. Warnock had 49%. Uh, Walker had 48%. You know, I think we have to remember that even though find the results encouraging for us, the trend of election denying that's been started ever since the 2020 election and the rise of Trumpism, it's not over. The midterms did not cancel that out. We still have to remember that it's still a large issue and it's large enough that people who believe in that are able to come close to winning elections in this country. Right. I mean, look, I was saying for months that voters were not going to take it seriously. We're not going to take the threats that these candidates like Carrie Lake, Fincham, Marchant, Tim Mitchells, they, they wouldn't take their threats seriously. That, oh, it was all talk. I was wrong, though. Happy to admit that I was wrong. Because, yes, Carrie Lake was, was like, what, 0.3 percentage points away from becoming governor? But she still lost. It's still a win, you know, and we shouldn't disregard that. It's definitely not over. I'm still very worried about what the Republican House will do. Still, I'm still very optimistic. I'm, I'm actually the most, most optimistic I have been since uh, November 2020. Yeah, I mean, with regards to your comment about what a, what a Republican House would do, they've already said they're going to have a lot of oversight investigation the Biden administration into Hunter Biden. And, and I mean, although a lot of it's form of political gimmick or a headache to the Biden administration, they conduct investigations and they find legitimate evidence and legitimate wrongdoing on behalf of Hunter Biden 
or anyone in the Biden administration, then so be it. I mean, some oversight of a presidential administration is good, but I hope that we can trust a Republican House to conduct investigations fairly and to conduct them properly and do them well. I mean, I'm sure they will. I think they, I really think they will. If they find anything legitimate, then so be it. But if not, then it's just a big sham. But they're not focusing on stuff like the origins of COVID. They're not focusing on stuff, the Afghanistan withdrawal. That's that's what they're talking about, but that's not their main message here. That's not what they're really interested in. David Frum had a great piece basically saying that the Republicans' obsession with Hunter Biden is exactly like Bill Clinton's affair with Monica Lewinsky and how House Republicans made that you know into their uh, focal point. The American people knew Bill Clinton was unfaithful. They knew that, but they didn't care. They didn't care enough to, you know, respond to the how uh, Newt Gingrich's, uh, you know, impeachment inquiry and their uh, actions with votes for uh, the Republican majority. And so Clinton did better in the 1998 midterms than a lot of people thought. You know, the Freedom Caucus, which has already taken down two former House speakers, you know, in the past decade, uh, Boehner and Ryan, given the, given the slight majority, they're going to have a lot of power and they're going to run through things like this. And they're not going to do it in a fair way. They're not going to do it. They're going to make a mockery of the whole concept of a congressional oversight. At a time where congressional oversight is already badly damaged, you, you can't trust the Republican majority. You can't trust Speaker McCarthy because everyone's going to be Speaker now. Literally, like, I, I think by the time it's said and done, I think it's probably going to have like a nine-seat majority or out of 435 members. And it's going to be like 222 Republicans or something. Like that's not, it seems like, you know, Kevin McCarthy is just going to have to toe the line between, you know, the reasonable Republicans and, you know, the Freedom Caucus, the Marjorie Taylor Greens. Sure, he might have to do that sometimes. There is an extent of factionalism within the House Republicans. I agree with that. But I think on most issues, Republicans will unite against Democrats. I don't think the future Speaker, Speaker McCarthy would have to do much to really toe them in. I think for most cases of Nancy Pelosi, I don't think she had to, she had to keep a lot of Democrats in line for most issues either. Because when it came to the actual vote, Democrats just voted against Republicans. The Republican Party is a lot different from the Democratic Party. You know, we're talking apples and orange, oranges here. But the, what about the squad? The squad still, when it mattered, the squad still showed up. The squad still either voted president or they didn't vote or they voted yes. Like the infrastructure bill passed, even though Bill Blackburn never happened. Nancy Pelosi is also one of the most successful speakers in history. That Across the political spectrum, that is what everyone says. Because it's true. She knew how to get people in Congress to vote the way she wanted to. She made the deals that was necessary. She knew their districts. She perfected the art of congressional dealmaking. And Kevin McCarthy, even though he's a purely political creature by everyone who's ever met him, he doesn't have that superpower. Boehner didn't. Ryan didn't. Uh, Hastert didn't. Gingrich, well... Not so gangrish, but, you know, pumpkin speakers recently, they haven't had great success. They haven't been great deal makers as Pelosi has been, how Tip O'Neill been. So I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm scared what's going to happen with uh, the, the budget, the budget bills and aid to Ukraine, and the debt limit. I'm not happy with the Senate pushing everything to the lame duck session. But like, if they're going to nuke the debt limit and save the country from have financial ruin and like, the whole world economy... Because everything relies on the values of dollar and U.S. debt because of our place in the world, the U.S. hegemony. Like the seven, like whatever Republicans in the Freedom Caucus say, eh, we're not going to do debt limit unless we're going to go further than John Boehner ever did in 2010 when, you know, he demanded cuts uh, on Social Security from Obama. Like we're going to go further than that. Even if McCarthy says no, like they have enough, they're probably going to have enough members to do it. Like, you know, if the Senate can get that through to like stop that from happening, good. That's like the one exception because you cannot trust purely political actors 
who are just nihilists at their core. They don't care about governing. They don't care about the fundamentals of policy. No comparison there between them and the squad. Like, yes, does Elhan Omar deserve a lot of scrutiny, a lot of criticism for what she said? Yes. Does that mean she automatically deserves to be kicked off of the House Foreign Affairs Committee? I don't think so. At least not about a like, very thorough review. So recently, uh, former President Donald Trump has just announced that he will be seeking a third run for the presidency in 2024. He's seeking to be the second president since Grover Cleveland to serve a non-consecutive second term. So, Jacob, what are your initial thoughts on this very expected announcement? I mean, it was inevitable. Everyone knew this guy was running for president, and he was already putting together plans to gut the civil service. He was already putting together plans to bring in every single creature of grift and you know propaganda like Stephen Miller on Cash Patel. He was already planning to give all of them jobs. They're bringing up lists, for God's sake. This was not out of the either, like in 2015, when he went out that golden escalator at Trump Tower. Everyone knew this was happening. And the only reason he's really doing this is because he wants to get out of indictments. He wants to get, you know, protection from criminal prosecution. What did you think of his speech? Okay, well, I, I mean, I didn't even watch much of the speech. But the thing is, the speech was boring. It was predictable. It contained the same talking points everyone is expecting. And you kind of see the trend with his speech making, especially after his loss in 2020, where his speeches become more predictable, they're more boring, they're less fiery. I mean, the truth is, you're right, this is not like 2016, because Trump, he can't captivate an audience like he did in 2016. In 2016, he was fiery. He made people angry. He stirred up people's emotions. You know, in that speech, it didn't stir up anybody's emotions. It was expected. It repeated talking points from Fox News. And if I understand correctly, the attendees in the room were locked in. They weren't allowed out. And some of them wanted to leave in the middle of the guy's speech. So this is not, I don't think this is like 2016, but I will say this. I can't get over the fact that we really underestimated him in 2016. We didn't think he was going to win the primary. We didn't think he was going to win the general election. And I know that the situation is different for him now. But it just goes to show that with Trump, you never know. Right. And as I said before, he's going to win the primary. I, I'm like 99% sure of it. Unless he's indicted or incapacitated, he is going to win the primary because he still has the base. Almost every single poll I've seen still puts him above Ron DeSantis by a considerable margin. So I don't think Paul Ryan speaking out against Trumpism or Chris Christie saying we need to move on. I don't think all the D-listers at the Republican Jewish Coalition this past you know week I don't think they're really in touch with the base. I don't think the base really gives a damn what Nikki Haley or Tim Scott or, you know, whoever is speaking. I, I don't think they really care because, again, the primary system is about whoever shows up the most. And people who show up the most now are the base, the Trump base. So unless there's some you know divine intervention at this point where, you know, Republicans actually get their act together, actually form a coalition to stop Trump like they should have done in 2016, Trump is going to win. I, I really don't see it. I really don't see how Trump would ever lose a primary. I mean, I, I really don't know, though, because I understand why you might say now that Trump would be winning the primary. I'm not so certain, though, because especially after the midterms, the right-wing media is gradually turning towards Ron DeSantis. And I feel like a lot of people that follow the media, because, you know, everybody has a phone nowadays or some sort of television set. I feel like gradually over time, you might see opinion change. More people in my support Ron DeSantis by the time it comes to 2024. And Trump has, if Trump wants to win this primary, which I, I have mixed feelings because if he does, it might be easier to beat him in the general election. But if he wants to win this primary, then he has to fix his speeches. He has to get new talking points. He has to reflect on, you know, what the Biden administration has been doing. Right now, he's kind of barely moving along. You know, he's lacking charisma. 
the charisma he had in 2016. And unless he gets his act together, like I said, I think there's a good chance that the landscape might shift to Ron DeSantis's favor in 2024. But while this, just remember, in 2015, 2016, the Murdoch Empire, uh, Fox News, New York Post, Wall Street Journal, they didn't like Trump. Like the Fox News brass, the top anchors and top executives, they were divided on Trump. Actually, no, very few in the entire you know building of the Murdoch Empire, very few actually understood Donald Trump. Very few cared about Donald Trump. I think it was only Fox and Friends at that point that really had him on. Or besides Sean Hannity, right? yeah, Sean Hannity. So you know, until he won, Fox was divided on him. And then you know he won, and everything went around him. So like, like I said before, DeSantis winning by twenty in in the environment that Florida is is not a grand revelation that he is somehow the appoint the anointed primary winner, fair and square, uh, right out the gate. He's going to automatically win in general. We don't know how that's going to scale nationwide if he actually does win the primary. We have no idea. And by the way, he might actually not run because he doesn't want to anger the base. You can't split the base. You can't split. Florida voters, you know, for the general election, you, you know, the base is still Trump's until proven otherwise. And right now the polls are showing that Trump is still leading DeSantis by considerable margins of 10, 15, 20, 30 points. So I, I don't see Ron DeSantis winning. I I, re- I really don't. Look, okay, let's say Trump loses the primary to Ron DeSantis. Okay, that could fully happen. Look, I could be proven wrong. I won't be happy if I'm proven wrong because Trump is never going to win a general election again. I really doubt it because voters have rejected Trumpism and Trump himself three times now. I, I really, I, I can't say I'm too certain about that. 2018, 2020, 2022, they don't like Trump. They do, do not like Donald Trump in office. They don't like his you know, personal behavior. They don't like his speaking pattern. They don't like anything about him. And just because he won a couple thousand votes in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, six years ago, does not mean that he is going to automatically work after whatever the hell that presidency was and insurrection and everything else. I don't see it. I I don't, you know, Vice President Harris as a Democratic nominee. I I don't see it. I'm optimistic about that. I mean, I'm hope I'm not wrong on that one. I don't know, Joshua, you could be right. You know, skepticism could be founded. Going back to the idea that he might be running to escape uh, incitements or legal consequences. Recently, Merrick Garland appointed him a special counsel, Jack Smith, to figure out what to do now that former President Trump has escaped the subpoena that the January 6th commission has sent out to him. I, I have some initial thoughts, I guess. You know, the initial thoughts are, yes, he should face the legal consequences Whatever Jack Smith tries to do, I'm sure that he'll conduct it professionally. But once again, I've mentioned this on previous episodes, it's still hard as a former president to bring legal charges against him. It's just difficult because what Trump has done is unprecedented. And I'm worried that Jack Smith might be too timid to actually bring the necessary legal charges and maybe prosecute him if necessary. But um, what are your thoughts on that? Where the heck is everyone? Alvin Bragg is supposedly now looking into the Stormy Daniels payment. I mean, if anyone remembers that, individual one. You know, the Georgia investigation is getting over the the, uh, the refusals of many people like Lindsey Graham to testify. There's been grand juries assembled in D.C. that no one knows what they're for. There's movement here. Where the hell is everyone? We need to get going on this. This guy this guy needs to face consequences for his actions. Great. Patricia James is now trying to go after a Trump organization as a civil suit, and now that's imploding. Great. You know, a criminal organization that, you know, is run by grifters and scammers be brought to his knees. We want people who break the law to get punished. Merrick Garland got a prosecutor from The Hague. Great. Where is it, though? Where? There is nothing. There is no reason why this man, Donald J. Trump, has not been indicted. There is no reason why he's not been indicted at this point. They let the Russian interference, you know, he fired Comey, all that. They let all of it go. 
They let him go. It was five years. Mueller said that basically the only reason he wasn't dieting him was because he was the president. Merrick Garland let that go by. One of the biggest scandals in American history is now gone because of statutes of limitations. And I, I don't know what else there is to say here. The emoluments clauses, the freaking sexual assault cases, you know, the Strong Daniels payment, the Agent Carroll case, the insurrection, all the all the business deals with the Saudis and the other Gulf states. I mean, it goes on and on. It really makes you think now that in the context of him dodging a congressional subpoena relative to other things he may have done while in office. I mean, yeah, I guess I guess it's fair to believe. Why would this time be any different when the DOJ and, you know, when Merrick Garland has allowed Trump to get when really, you know, the rest of the government has allowed Trump to get away with so many other possibly bigger things. I, I don't know what Jack Smith can do. I don't know if he'll be bold enough to actually put forth these legal charges against him, but justice has to be done. Right. That concludes this episode of Gen Zero's Talk Politics. Be sure to join our Discord server, follow us on Instagram at Gen Zero's Talk Politics, and on Twitter at Gen Zero's Talk Poly with an I, and add or email us to ask your burning questions. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you next time.